Breaking live right now, everyone. We are learning that Fox News executives are getting a little bit nervous, a little bit nervous that, well, Donald Trump's not going to show up. He's not going to show up. He said he's not going to show up. And yet there's still this last minute ditch effort to kind of pressure him to try and make sure that this is going to happen. Let me tell you, it's not. And um, this is a, a mini revenge, so to speak, between Tucker Carlson, Fox News. And it's kind of funny to watch. We're going to talk about that. Plus um, this Maui funding. And, and by the way, Hurricane Hillary, which I still can't stop laughing about, Hurricane Hillary funding, Florida funding. Why is all this disaster relief getting tied to Ukraine funding? I'm sure some people could have some fun with that. Speaking of the fun they could have with it, think about Hunter Biden right now. Hunter Biden, ladies and gentlemen, well, he might actually wind up in a situation where we see his dad, we see pops in front of the court. Maybe, I don't know, the same time Donald Trump winds up being there in front of a jury, there's a 32-page memo that Politico leaked in which the former attorney for Hunter Biden said, you know what, chances are, chances are Pops is going to have to actually testify in all this. Wouldn't that be interesting to see? Snow White, ah, she keeps stepping in it. (laughs) This is the Disney remake. I'm going to tell you all about the latest comments from the actress that's playing Snow White. And we're going to talk about Bidenomics because you know, I know it is not working. At all. Hello, welcome back to the program, a live edition of today's show, the Trish Regan Show. We are brought to you, as always, in part by LegacyPMInvestments.com. If you're interested in investing in gold, go check them out, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Charles is actually going to be on the show in just a bit, so we'll get to him a little bit later. one 589 Yeah, it's really pretty remarkable. Fox News has managed to just tick everybody off. Right. It's like they they get a little woke and then they're like, oh, my gosh, we can't get too woke. So we got to get really conservative. And then all the woke people are angry and saying, hey, we knew they weren't really woke. And the conservatives are saying, we knew you weren't really conservative. And, And so on and on it goes. And so management is kind of tied in knots. They don't know how to manage things now because, you know, they get this audience. It's kind of a an audience is sort of dying off. Why? Because, oh, everybody's coming here like the streaming platforms. This is the future. And plenty of content creators, myself included, are going to be able to go more and more so directly to you, which is what Tucker Carlson has figured out quite well, too. Even if you can only be on one platform right now, there's some kind of contract stipulation saying only one platform. And yet one platform is enough to do it. In this case, X, formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> That's kind of funny to say. Anyway, uh, the, the big problem at this moment in time is that Fox News executives know they don't really have a debate without the head of the GOP, so to speak. I mean, figuratively, right? Because Donald Trump is the front runner by a a country mile. Like Nobody's coming close. Right now it looks like he is going to be the nominee. And so how do you have a GOP debate? How do you have a Republican debate if you don't actually have the guy who's out in front leading the pack? I myself have interviewed a couple of debates for Fox, for Fox Business, presidential GOP primary debates. Uh, back in the, you know, when they had so many candidates, right? And then they had to split them up into like the, the cocktail version and then the, the main event. Anyway, it, it's a very high pressure situation. There's a lot riding on this, both in terms of the reputation of the network and in terms of advertising, right? They sell a certain amount of advertising anticipating they're going to get a certain amount of viewers, I mean, we had record, record viewership at Fox Business. I believe when I was hosting this, when I was hosting the debate, we did somewhere around 6 million, which was just incredible for this 
at the time, small network, right? Fox News, different story. But there's a lot of pressure on them to bring in the ratings. Well, how are they going to bring in the ratings when the main attraction is like, see ya, <laughs> see ya, I'm going to go see this guy. But because Joe Biden and his many allies, from Chuck Schumer to Mitch McConnell to Paul Ryan and every single news anchor on all of television, all of them believe that Ukraine, its borders... It's- We're going to talk about that in a little bit more because Tucker's on to something there, and, and it all relates to everything. Anyway, so Fox is feeling all this pressure, and the executives, I guarantee you, are tearing their hair out. And uh, I feel bad for them a little bit. They're coming up with some creative solutions. They said, well, maybe, maybe we just actually play some sound of Donald Trump for the whole auditorium to hear, and I guess all those viewers at home to hear. But why do that when you can actually go and maybe watch him live? On Tucker's show. Now, Tucker has not said whether he is, in fact, very precisely, deliberately programming at the exact same time that Fox has its debate, which is, I think, on the 23rd. So, yeah, we're like 48 hours away. <laughs> you know what? It's, it's smart. It's brilliant. Absolutely, positively brilliant of Donald Trump. Because, and Tucker, for that matter. Because what everyone here in this equation realizes is Fox needs Trump more than Trump needs Fox. And Fox needed Tucker more than Tucker needed Fox, right? So that is sort of the the sweet revenge, you know, as they say. (laughs) They're teaming up. I just keep laughing about it. They're teaming up against Fox. I actually think they're going to get blowout numbers. And I I said to you before, listen, don't count Tucker out. It's not like it's going to be a walk in the park, which is what Fox wants you to believe. No, 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 no. Actually, Tucker can give a pretty good interview. You saw how he ruffled Mike Pence's feathers recently, which are not easy to ruffle. And it may have, unfortunately for Mike Pence, single-handedly destroyed the guy's career. And it had to do with some of those Ukraine issues. We'll get to that in a second. But first, see how they're just, you know, they're doing everything they can. They get Carl Rove out there trying to say, hey, you know, are you man enough? Are you man enough, Donald Trump, to show up at the debate? They get the White House actually weighing in on it. Like, that's going to do a lot of good, right? And, um, well, you know, they've got a Wall Street Journal editorial as well. Wall Street Journal, of course, owned by Rupert Murdoch, which owns the main shareholder in shares of Fox News Corporation. Here's Carl. Carl, if you were Donald Trump, would you show up at that debate in Milwaukee next Wednesday? I would, even though there, there, there's, you know, look, there are dangers. I mean, he will be, you know, he, if he shows up, he will be attacked by everybody uh, in one way, shape or form. Some of them will be uh, hard and direct. Uh, Chris Christie, some of them will be, you know, glancing blows. Uh, some will be trying to move around him. But but I'd show up if I were him, because this is this is where you get to demonstrate I am the leader and I will remain the leader. If he doesn't show up, there are going to be people who say to themselves, well, you know, didn't he tell us, didn't he mock Joe Biden for not debating? And hasn't he said he's the world's greatest debater? And maybe there's something that, that he doesn't want to want to talk about. And doubts will begin to grow. Doubts are growing. We've now got, a, a, depending on what poll you look at, a plurality or a majority of Republicans who say that if he's convicted of something in one of these federal suits, in one of these four lawsuits, uh, for indictments, excuse me, they're, they're not going to vote for him. So he's got to find ways to assuage those kind of growing concerns. And the best way to do it is to show up on August, August 23rd and September 27th. How much do they pay him to say that? <laughs> That's what I want to know, right? Look, you know, 
Carl is brilliant in many ways, um, but this was a little bit of a, okay, we need you to do this because we need to put pressure. It's a pressure campaign. They're trying to put pressure from here, there, and everywhere. So you get the New York Times saying, gosh, you know, Trump ought to show up, blah, blah, blah. I mean, even the New York Times. You get the White House saying Trump ought to show up. It's actually kind of comical. I'm like, no, why should he show up, right? Because this is a little bit of a setup. You're walking straight into the lion's den. Everybody's going to pick on him. And it's it's really kind of, you know, if I'm him, it's not worth my time. Like, it's just not. I'd rather have a substantive conversation about the policies that are actually going to affect the U.S. economy and the average American person. Now, whether or not he's actually able to really and truly run, Carl made the point that he is not going to win if he has all of these lawsuits, given that there's four indictments, right, 91 counts against him right now. Wow. And so the thought is, oh, okay, Democrats are, are loving this because Republicans will nominate him out of spite, and then they'll be really uh, too nervous to actually vote him into office. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I would also say, I mean, one, obviously don't ever count Trump out, but two, it looks like Hunter Biden and Joe Biden are going to be quite a story front and center, something that these guys didn't want, right? They absolutely didn't want this. There's news today that a... Key lawyer, Mr. Clark, Chris Clark, on Hunter Biden's team actually wrote a 32-page letter to the Justice Department. This is after the Washington Post actually reported back in October that federal agents believed that they had enough evidence to charge Biden's son with tax and gun-related crimes. And he said in this letter, quote, President Biden now unquestionably would be a fact witness for the defense in any criminal trial. He goes on, this of all cases justifies neither the spectacle of a sitting president testifying at a criminal trial, nor the potential for a resulting constitutional crisis. Well, the fact that this is now out and that we now know that there was pressure being put on the Justice Department to make this all just go away and come up with that nifty little plea deal that finally the judge saw through. And by the way, whistleblowers came out and said, hey, what's going on here with the fact that this is coming out? This really does suggest a kind of cover-up, like full-blown cover-up. And they're threatening here the situation being that a sitting U.S. president would have to then take the stand. And we don't want that, right? That's not going to look good. You think you guys think it looks good to have a former U.S. president there having to sit and, and you know, be in front of a jury? I mean, hey, like, if you're going to do it for one, I think you're going to do it for the other, which is why I say, like, you might, this might be one big old legal festival coming up as we head into 2024. You might have Hunter Biden there on trial. You might have Joe Biden having to testify about his son. And increasingly, as you and I have seen, and I brought forward so many of these documents, et cetera, this is not looking good in terms of the bank records, in terms of how much money was going back and forth, by the way, combined with the policy that then happened. I mean, for goodness sakes, right now, right now. This sitting president is responsible for for helping us get in a situation that, you know, regardless of what you think of it, is very costly. It costs a lot of money to fund what's going on in Ukraine right now. And it's going to cost more if they have anything to say about it. Something that Tucker Carlson has indeed brought up in the past. Like I said, took Mike Pence out over the whole thing. Here's Tucker. 
But because Joe Biden and his many allies, from Chuck Schumer to Mitch McConnell to Paul Ryan and every single news anchor on all of television, all of them believe that Ukraine, its borders, its future, its infrastructure are all more important than the town that you live in. They sincerely think that, and it's obvious. Everyone in power thinks that, except for Donald Trump. Whatever else you say about him, Trump is the one guy with an actual shot of becoming president who dissents from Washington's long-standing pointless war agenda. And for that, that one fact, they're trying to take Trump out before you can vote for him. And that should upset you more than anything that's happened in American politics in your lifetime. Right? I mean, I hear him. Regardless of whether you like Trump or you hate Trump, the fact that they're trying to take the opportunity away from the American voter to make that decision is kind of a problem. And then when you layer in the skepticism that I think so many of us have that's increasingly growing about you know, all this money that's being spent, and by the way, whatever happened back between 2013 in 2018 with the $11 million that NBC News, don't take my word for it, NBC News reported actually went to Mr. Hunter Biden and his various companies. He, he put together some 20 when his dad became the vice president of the United States. I mean, this is very peculiar stuff and stuff that we need to get to the bottom of. And so <laughs> we now have a memo where Chris Clark, who is now no longer on Hunter Biden's legal team, is trying to say, hey, you know, this doesn't look good. You're going to have to have a sitting president testifying here. And it's definitely not good when you look at the the charges, right? I I do believe the gun charges were kind of problematic and that the son is out buying a gun illegally. It's kind of feeding into a little too much in the way of uh, political feelings, shall we say, on that front. But I'm still getting back to what do we know about how this money was moved? What do we know about whether or not Joe Biden had a hand in it? And isn't it interesting that they were so anxious to get a plea deal, which now they don't have, because one judge very smartly looked at this thing and said, hang on, does this mean that the government can no longer go after Hunter Biden for foreign lobbying, illegal foreign lobbying. And sure enough, according to the defense, Chris Clark, et cetera, that's what it meant. So now we're in a situation where, of course, you have a special counsel. I mean, except that in this case, the special counsel isn't actually allowed to be special counsel. There's also a very interesting story in the Washington Post. Here we go. What's this one? Before investigating Hunter Biden, prosecutor worked with Brother Bo. And so there's a whole thing on how cozy everybody is. David Weiss, the special counsel now investigating Hunter Biden, has long targeted Delaware's powerful interests. His one-time experience with Bo Biden potentially complicates the probe. In other words, another conflict of interest, aside from the fact that the guy's working for the government. Why is David Weiss running this investigation? I mean, at first, my first reaction was, phew, At least they're actually looking into this. And then it hit me. Wait a second. They're using the guy that was willing to come up with this ridiculous plea deal because everybody wants to keep Joe Biden off the stand. No, they want Donald Trump on the stand in, you know, various venues, jurisdictions. I mean, I would just say this. Listen, guys, you've got a lot of time to go after Donald Trump. Why now? Why is everything like supposed to happen just as the election's going down? Why wouldn't you do it after the election? Or why wouldn't you have done it months ago? Why is it 
timed so specifically to the time when he should be campaigning? I think we know the answer. Meanwhile, uh, there's a story out in the Washington Post that, the, you know, Hunter and his dad, they're, they're, they're pretty chummy during this whole criminal probe thing. They're so chummy that according to this piece, the very next day, right after he signed the now defunct, thank you, Judge Mary Ellen Norieka, now defunct plea deal, sure enough, Hunter Biden goes and hangs out at the White House for a couple of weeks with his family and nobody knew he was there. Interestingly, none of the Biden staff knew he was there. Of course, everybody was a bit surprised, just a little bit surprised. I want you to hear the anchor here as he shows up at a state dinner for India. This was something else. Hunter Biden mingling with the crowd as a guest of his father and Jill Biden, the first lady as well there. He's greeting NASA Administrator Bill Nelson and others there. And this is the first on-camera public appearance we have seen of him since he was charged just... <laughs> the guy's like, yeah, rather, the, uh, the he's deal. kind of in trouble. And yet what does he do? He goes to the state dinner. He goes to the state dinner. You know what? I credit Representative James Comer because he's like a dog with a bone right now. And he keeps digging. He's come forward with all those Treasury documents, which I've shown you six banks Six major U.S. banks reported 170 SARS suspicious activity reports, all related to Hunter Biden and his various companies. Anyway, turns out there were like lots of emails that we don't know about. Emails from Robert L. Peters. That would be the, uh, how do we say, the, the alias, the pseudonym that... Mr. Biden, Joe Biden actually went under when he was VP. So Robert L. Peters was one guy. Then there was J.R.B. Ware, W.A.R.E. That was one of the pseudonyms. And then you had Robin Ware. So a few different names that he's using. And this was in some official correspondence. And what's amazing here is that his aide, John Flynn, we know about this. He CC'd Hunter Biden on Joe Biden's daily schedule at least 10 different times between May 18th and June 15th, 2016. And then what I'm wondering is, did everybody get wise to it and say, wait a second, let's CC him on Robert L. Peters schedule. And by the way, did Robert L. Peters like weigh in on any of these things? One of the things that Comer wants to know, and this is from the National Archives, he's demanding these records is whether or not there were, for example, drafts of the December 2015 speech to Ukraine's parliament. That would be rather interesting to know about, right, given that Hunter was working for Burisma to the tune of $83,000 a month. Oh, plus his his colleague, Devin Archer, who was also getting $83,000. And that was, that's the least of it, right? By the way, let me just tell you, like, I, I've covered business for a long time. That's an insanely ridiculous amount of money for any board member to make. You might make $83,000 a year working for a board, but you don't make $83,000 a month. Like 83 a, a year would be high. This is wild. And so one has to assume this was, this was an exchange for something maybe. I'd like to see the emails. The National Archives needs to release these emails. So we did some tracking. We found out that the email, it was PCI.gov. So what the heck is PCI.gov? I encourage you guys to take a look at that. Go, go do a search, right? You do a search and PCI.gov, it doesn't exist. And so we kept digging and digging. And, and eventually what we figured out was it was some kind of government email system. So there's a government email system 
with PCI.gov. And that is what Joe Biden was using. And the question is, how much of it was he using to communicate with Hunter? And he may say, ah, oh, this is my personal stuff. But you know what? It's not. At least, at least, he didn't have his own server. I mean, somebody had a server there. It's a government server of some sort, but at least it wasn't like the bleach bit, right? I mean, wow. Anyway, look, I, I think it's fantastic that Donald Trump is standing up once again to the establishment, the establishment in this case, very much being Fox News, which has made it clear over and over again, they do not like Donald Trump, clearly made it very clear that they do not like Tucker Carlson. <laughs> they made it very clear they do not like me or Lou Dobbs or um, Dan Bongino or, you know, we can go down the list. There's a quite, quite, quite a number of people that have departing, departed the institution. And let me tell you, it's for the better. Because, again, the, it's so important that I think people have this authenticity that they can get when they're going directly to the creator. It's wild. Anyway, speaking of like all this money going around, I mentioned Hurricane Hillary. I keep laughing. Somebody said to me the other day, they're like, wait, what? That's where your head went? And I'm like, yep, that's where my head went. That is exactly where my head went. Maybe it has something to do with I can't get this one soundbite out of my mind from August 2020 when she went on that show with her former PR person, and they were giggling and laughing. And then she, she came through with a very, very strong directive that struck me as full-on banana republic, remember? You know, Joe Biden should not concede under any circumstances because I think this is going to drag out. And eventually, I do believe he will win if we don't give an inch. <laughs> right. Like that. So when I hear Hurricane Hillary, and I, I'm so... So, so sorry for everybody there in Southern California. It's really awful. I, any of these natural disasters are awful. I just, you know, there's a certain irony, shall we say. And then when I heard Joe Biden talking about Hurricane Hillary, of course, that's exactly where my mind went. I, I'm thinking about her. Um, but anyway, I'm also thinking about the horror that all of these people have faced. I mean, we've talked about Maui and obviously devastating there. It's incredible, though, when you think of all the mistakes that were made, shall we say, in Maui and continue to be made. I mentioned Ukraine and the funding. At present, this blows me away. I'm going to show you what one of the people from the Maui Water Institute was saying, who's in control, by the way, of this natural resource and, and is tremendously under fire. I believe the guy's resigned, actually, because of some of the things that he's said in the past, including how they have to be so super equitable with water, and then they didn't even turn the water on. I'm going to play that for you. But but first here, what the heck is going on that they are tying funding for Ukraine to funding for Maui and Florida and Southern California, for that matter? So there's a, an estimate of somewhat $6 billion that it's going to take to repair Maui. And that's not going to bring back any lives. I'll also point that out. But they've got a lot of devastation there because of those fires, and they've got to spend a lot of money. And so FEMA, it's being requested that FEMA come through. Joe Biden still hasn't gone there, by the way. He's supposed to go this week. We'll see. We'll see when he shows up. He didn't want to talk about it. 
when he was asked, he was on vacation. He just, he looked at them completely silent. He had no comment. How could you have no comment on Maui? I mean, this is, this is real, folks. This is tragedy. This is not pretend. This is what we have governments for. Thank you very much. This is what we have a president for. This is what we have things like FEMA for. And instead, they're trying to tie this to some 24 or 26 billion dollars that they want for Ukraine. I mean, come on. So $6 billion for Maui. They're talking about $12 billion total for U.S. disaster relief. But they're putting it in some kind of bill where it's going to get attached to 20-some-odd billion dollars going to Ukraine. I mean, that is just really, really, I think, offensive. If nothing else, I, I realize, Joe, you care a lot about Ukraine. I realize that. So... Put it somewhere else. Do not tie this to the victims in Maui, people that have lost their homes because of, oh, all kinds of things like equality. Let's make water really equitable. Unbelievable stuff. I mean, they they, they screw up over and over again. They could have, by the way, there was a big article on this actually in the Wall Street Journal. They could have been maintaining this. They could have been doing what they call controlled burns, which is what you need to do to help maintain the forest so it doesn't just, you know, go up in smoke like this one did. And and they didn't. They didn't do that. So why, did, why didn't they do that? I mean, all these people that care so much about the environment, and yet they're not even doing the basics. And then when it comes time to release the water, they don't. It gets stalled. It gets delayed. Why? Oh, is it not equitable? To, to release the water, the guy who's in charge of that, who has since stepped down amid all this controversy, he's having his own sort of Alyssa Heinerschneid Bud Light moment because this is certainly coming back to haunt him. He said this little number months ago. If you go back to kind of that traditional value set and system, there are also other ways that we used to do things, but we just haven't maybe brought them forward into um, that value set forward, right? And build on that value set and using modern techniques to kind of elevate how we use water today, right? And we can be mindful of, of our impacts to the resource. And, and with that context, it's like the traditional system was really built on collective contribution and benefit and not the individual benefit of a specific project over others, right? There was always this communal, um, you put in and you get out, right? Um, but that's totally different in this this Western capitalistic kind of economy that we live in it's very extractive um individualistic approaches and when you get into that space you create the whiskeys for drinking waters for fighting scenario where it's us and them um and so you know we all need water to live so really my motto is always like let water connect us and not divide us like we we can share it but it requires true conversations about equity you know like water equity it's not something that's talked about a lot but understanding how do we in this island space that we occupy in this short period of time we're here how do we leave it better live coexist with the resources that we have and then not make that burden again something we pass on to the next generations what a moron what an absolute moron! you know this is this is the whole problem with communism and socialism they forget about the value of the individual. The individual doesn't matter. It's the greater good. 
Listen, this, this system has been tried over and over again throughout history, all over the globe. Take your pick. There is no nation in which it has succeeded. And you got this moron controlling the water in Hawaii and doesn't allow it to be released in a speedy enough way so as to save this land and to save these people. I mean, that is just actually disgusting, but I think really represents the heart of this entire problem. Look, individualism is good because individuals are accountable. That's why capitalism works, because people take things onto themselves and and the freedom of the individual is what prevails. And when you carry that forth in an economic environment, that's how you wind up with the best outcome for everyone. And so community, don't get me wrong. I mean, community is so valuable. They want to destroy that too. I mean, churches, et cetera. Um, Community is, is incredibly important. Family is incredibly important, but never lose sight about the importance of each and every individual created by God. We are all valuable. And you can't say that the greater good of Hawaii and, you know, holding on to the water for everybody else that might need it tomorrow is the right approach when you got a fire today and homes that are burning today. I mean, this just, it's really nauseating and there's so much in there that you can unpack and and really dig in deep to sort of explain the entire problem with the communist and socialist system. Individuals are everything, okay? That's why we have the largest economy in the world. That is why we enjoy the greatest standard of living, because of our care and focus on the individual. And this is what our founding fathers understood in ways that these, you know, these, these woke, insane, stupid, I'm sorry, but like it's just stupid. I'm willing to listen to a lot of different viewpoints and I actually find it entertaining sometimes to, to hear, right, all these different viewpoints. It's, it's a wonderful utopian style of, of living that they're, they're after, but it doesn't exist. The way you get to the best standard for everyone is to value everyone which is something that they don't do these days in, uh, you know, sort of the woke institutions. (laughs) Speaking of woke institutions, has anybody been following this whole Disney thing? This whole Disney thing? You know, Disney um, is coming out with a remake of Snow White, and Disney just can't get out of its own way. It keeps having problem after problem after problem. And uh, I'm not surprised by any of it because they had some bad management. They kind of didn't know which way to turn. I was going to see if I could find you this picture. Here we go of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So, you know, Snow White's coming out as a big remake. There's been some problems lately because the girl who's playing Snow White, well, she just came out with another doozy, and I'm going to play it for you. But before we get to that, did you see this one? So Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, except it's, uh, I guess, Snow White and the Six Tall People and One Dwarf, which is something that, well, the, the dwarfism community is not entirely happy about. It's amazing because the company actually did an entire study They actually paid a lot of money to have this giant study so that they could figure out, because they have to figure this stuff out, right, how not to offend the smaller stature community of people. So their answer somehow was to just get rid of them. Like, we're just going to forget about them. It's, It's no longer Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. It's Snow White and the, I don't know, it's Woke Snow White or Woke White and the, 
and the six tall people <laughs> and one dwarf. Anyway, Rachel Zegler is the actress who is playing Snow White, and she's a young girl. I actually need to go and watch West Side Story myself. I, I want to do that because this was her like claim to fame. She's a young, young girl. They picked her out of some New Jersey high school. She's apparently a great singer. I'll, I'll, I'll watch it and report back tomorrow. I am uh, by training a classically trained singer, so I, I, I might have a thought or two on that. Anyway, Bernstein, incredible music. Hard to screw it up, but I'll, I'll see. Anyway, she's half Colombian, half Polish, and she really identifies with the whole Colombian thing because, again, that's like the, the smart thing to do if you're in Hollywood these days, right? Like, you don't want to be all Polish. You want to really work that Colombian angle. Anyway, Rachel Zegler was caught uh, on the red carpet saying some rather uh, interesting things about Snow White. I'll play them for you here. I mean, you know, the, the original cartoon came out in 1937, and very evidently so. <laughs> um, there is a big focus on her love story um, with a guy who literally stalks her. <laughs> yeah. Weird. Weird. Super weird. So we didn't do that this time. <laughs> so, no, so no prince or a different kind of prince? We have a different approach to what I'm sure a lot of people will assume is a love story just because, like, we cast a guy in the movie, right. Andrew Burnap, great dude. Yeah. Um, it's a... Uh, it's, one of those things that I think everyone's going to have their assumptions about what it's actually going to be, but uh, it's really not about the love story at all, which is really, really wonderful. And whether or not she finds love along the way is anybody's guess until 2024. Um, all of Andrew's scenes could get cut. Who knows? It's Hollywood, baby. Hmm. Hollywood, baby. Okay, so Snow White, and apparently she doesn't like the story. It's just weird. Well, the son of the original director of Snow White, he wasn't too psyched about that. He had some rather choice things to say. He's 91 years old now. And he said, you know, like, this is just total woke insanity. And I don't really appreciate it. And, you know, it's not working for me. Anyway, she had some some other things to say. Let me see if I can bring some of this up for you right now, because it, it, it didn't stop there. She she threw a whole lot of shade, shall we say, at poor Snow White going on to say the original cartoon came out in 1937 and very evidently so. You heard her go through all that. Then she went on to say not only do they have a different approach, but, quote, it's one of those things that I think everyone's going to have their assumptions about what it's actually going to be, but it's really not about the love story at all, which is really, really wonderful. Really? It's really, really wonderful that it's, it's not about a love story? Because she goes on and, and talks about how, you know, you got to value your leadership skills and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, whoa, wait, wait a second. You know, like, I, I'm sorry. Like, I, I am, I'm about as pro-woman as you're going to find. I mean that. I really mean that. And I'm pro-woman in that I believe a woman should be able to do whatever she wants. And that includes doing nothing. It includes staying home with the kids. That includes being president. That includes having your own company. You do you, and I'll do me. And you know what? I'm tired of the Rachel whatever, 18-year-olds, maybe she's 22 now, trying to put some kind of lens over what women should be. What's wrong with falling in love? What's wrong with meeting Prince Charming? Like, if you don't meet Prince, I'm, like, going to get all teary-eyed on you, but if you don't meet the right guy, what is all this about? And the same for the guy. You don't meet the right girl. Like, what, what is this life about if it's not about sharing it with another person?
and hopefully more people, right? That's the whole point. You have a family. That means more than anything. But, you know, if you don't fall in love, if you don't value love, because I guess everything else is way more important, if you don't value love, then you you don't have love. You don't have love. You don't have a family. You don't have kids. And you're alone in this world. And that, ladies and gentlemen, seems to be what they prize, those on the left that are trying to push a a woke agenda that's not family-based, that doesn't value women for all their contributions, that thinks that you need to be alone in this world. Don't forget, Black Lives Matter. It said it right there on their website, part of their mandate was the destruction of the nuclear family. Because you see, the nuclear family is an awfully threatening thing. The nuclear family can stand up to government. The nuclear family doesn't have to have their hand out waiting for Uncle Sam to give them a pittance to live off of. The nuclear family can help each other and other nuclear families in the spirit of community and family. You think about, you know, families that come here, first generations, and how I, you know, I was watching my big fat Greek wedding the other night. Again, I love that movie. And I, I, I love the spirit of it and how the family is, is helping everyone, right? And everybody's got a business and everybody's looking out for one another and they're all in each other's business. But that's a good thing. Because the nuclear family is, is the importance, is the center of everything. But if we're going to remake the entire narrative there, I guess the idea is we have to destroy that nuclear family. We have to teach women love doesn't matter, not, not important. Your, your career, your this, your that, your leadership, that's what matters. Because one day you're going to be president of the United States. Why not tell women you can do whatever you want? Okay, full disclosure, I admit it, I saw Barbie. I finally went. My, my kids dragged me to see this I was putting it off because you know I don't have two hours to sit in the movie theater period I don't even like movie theaters I don't like the smell of popcorn and like being in a dark place with all these people around me I was like we'll wait till it comes out on video and so I I was really anticipating the worst and there there are some cringe moments but there's this one scene I don't know how they let it slip by but at the end, one of the women says, you know what, why don't we have ordinary Barbie? Like, why does a woman have to be anything? Why can't she just be what she is? Why do we have to have all these stereotypes? You know, if she wants to be beautiful and wear beautiful clothing, go for it. If she wants to not be beautiful, go for it. If she wants to be a CEO or a president or not. Like, and, and what Rachel Zegler and this whole Snow White movement thing is trying to do is to stamp out the value that all of us as individuals, as individuals, remember that, bring. Just like the guy in Maui said, you know, this capitalist economy that cares so much about the individual, they forget the sight of the overall good. No, no, it's the individual that makes the good, and that is what these people are fundamentally truly missing. So speaking about economics and the economy, this is kind of a doozy for us. You know, look, Biden's on and on about how Bidenomics is working. It's not. It's not. It's not because I can tell you prices are, are through the roof still. And there's a lot of weird things going on, like the real estate market, for example. 
I realize a lot of markets are getting hit, but other markets, like there's no inventory and prices keep going up. And this is what you would call inflation getting embedded into the economy. So that's not good. That's not good. We are up about 16% in terms of prices versus when Joe Biden came into office. So even though he tells us inflation is going down, that's actually a lie. And it went up two tenths of a percent last month. And overall, collectively, if you look at it, he's the guy who sent it way up. And in real terms, it is up about 16%, which is why you have the yield on the 10-year bond. Oh, I love talking about that. Sorry. (laughs) I can wonk out. Anyway, the yield on the 10-year bond, I mean, now way up over 4%. You're looking at 30-year yields upwards of 4.5%. This is an environment that I think, you know, you're just starting to see it really take off. And the Fed is saying, oh, well, we got all this inflation. We're going to have to raise rates again. Well, none of that is really necessarily good for your average person. I mean, I hope they can get inflation under control. I'm not convinced they can. And so you got to think about it selectively when you're you're thinking through your portfolio. I was asking Charles Thorngren, sponsor of the show, about this just the other day. Um, I want to share this interview with you. I'll, I'll stay with you here as we watch it. And I'm going to look at some of your comments and, and I'm curious to hear your reaction to it. This is just a clip. It's just a short portion of the interview with Charles. I'm going to run the entire thing. So I'm sure you'll have a lot more interest. You can watch the whole thing, which is rather long. It's about 40 minutes, but we get into some meaty topics. Anyway, take a listen to this. So you've been, I, the, I talk about you guys every day, and I've been actually telling people all week you're going to be on um, because you were the first advertiser, and, and we're so proud of that. But anyway, mostly what I love about talking to you is that basically, uh, if you want to understand something about macroeconomics and the fundamentals of what's going on in this economy right now, you need to listen to Charles because every single time you've been on, it's like you get a crystal ball, and what do you know? Sure enough, we're there a few months later. Uh, you've predicted a lot, including what we saw on the regional bank front, including that the Fed was not done. And we now know they're not done. They've just come out and said, hey, you know what? We might have to raise rates again, which, like I said, you know, if they'd listen to you and they'd listen to me and our discussions, people would know that. Um, we're at the highest rate on the 10-year treasury right now um, in some time. We're at a 22-year high here. Uh, The rate on the 30-year, 10-year yield, 4.42%. That's the highest since 2011. We've got mortgage rates at a 20-year high. What is this telling us? This, unfortunately, and and yes, we've been right about a lot of things. Um, Apparently, I'm good at making bad news sound pleasant. I don't know if that's a positive or not but um this this really is what we've been talking about it's the breakdown of the system it's the breakdown of the economy i believe in math let me just give a little background to the way i look at situations there's talking points there's words that are said there's there's feel-good statements that are made but the math never lies to us that's the bottom line We have a Fed that took too long to even deal with inflation, wouldn't even admit it was real to begin with. It was just transitory when the world was screaming no. Um, And just a few months ago, we said inflation's still going up. It's not done. Don't count the the summer as a downgrade when summer typically gets lower anyway. So it's all the things that we said, but this is about math. This is about forgetting about the noise you hear from the Fed. Um, they're brilliant people there, but they, you have to look at them and say that there's an agenda that's not necessarily based on numbers. I don't want to make accusations. 
No, I, I'm using that. I mean, this is, it's just so important. People need to understand this. Like the world is, is more complicated, right? And you have people that are in the spot. You now have Janet Yellen in a very political position as treasury secretary. It's kind of uncomfortable, frankly, to watch. She's out there sitting. She knows she's lying through her teeth when she's like, it's just transitory. It's just transitory. We heard that forever on inflation. That's what they do. They're talking their book. It's sad to me that they allowed these mistakes to happen. To me, they were sort of glaringly obvious, but I guess they're they're hoping for something. I, I, Charles, you know, they've taken all the mystery out of it, but then they're lying to us. So I think back to the days like before, and actually this sort of predates me. So by the time I was reporting on this, Greenspan was in the seat. But, you know, even Greenspan, it's like he didn't just get out there and spout lots of nonsense you had to translate what the heck the guy was saying right like greenspan speak was was a thing onto itself but before him with bolcor and stuff like there wasn't a ton of communication and now the fed is always communicating and the governors love to be on television and so they're all out there doing interviews every two seconds and they're not telling us the truth they're telling us what the system wants us to think maybe in hopes that it will influence psychology. But like you said, you just look at the math. Math. It, math will never do you wrong. That's just the And the math is, is, well, interest rates are going up because there's too much money. They printed too much money for too long. They threw in the right. Inflation Reduction Act, which didn't exactly reduce inflation, no matter how many times Joe Biden tries to tell us this. In fact, He's uh, he's on quite the tour. Let me share some of this with you. I've been playing some of the Bidenomics chatter, right, that's going on. I mean, I don't want to politicize this too much. You know what? I'll, I'll save that. Plus, I think people get sick of hearing it. But they keep saying Bidenomics is working. Well, I don't know how it's working if you're roughly 16 percent ahead in real terms on prices than you were when you got into office. Because they shortened the parameter. Okay, I'm going to answer that question for you. Okay. They're not looking back four years. They're going back two years. Mm-hmm. No, but even two years, it's still up 16% in real terms from when he when he got there. He's like right. saying, oh, I see what you're saying. So he's like, okay, in two years, well, I'm the one who got it all the way up to near double digits. Woo-hoo. Right. But now we're bringing it down. But now we're bringing it down. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do more of the same because it should fix it this time. Okay. So... They're doing their thing. What is it that everyday Americans that actually need to protect themselves against this? Because I'm sorry, like <laughs> I'm out to dinner in my hometown in New Hampshire and an entree at a very regular restaurant is now twenty nine ninety five for chicken. And it's like, I'm telling you, like bare bones restaurant. I'm like, what is going on with the world? That feels like New York City to me. It's a it's a push. There's a couple of things going on. And I believe this is a push to bring us to a point where we no longer care about how much debt America has. Uh-huh. And raising inflation rates only matter if people feel the pinch. So this and this is why, you know, those of us who have been around a little bit don't believe that you should make $25 an hour for flipping a burger. But this is how this system is saying this is how we fix it. Yes, it costs more, but you're making more. So it's OK. And it's not okay. They need to raise wages so they can tax more and they can fool people. But by the way, it doesn't work that way. 
Like it doesn't. It, it like does. it, I mean, you look at these numbers, and it, it it just kind of boggles me that even the New York Times gets this messed up because they're like, "Oh, wages are up." I'm like, "Yeah, but did you see inflation? Like real wages actually are not keeping pace with inflation." And Charles, they rarely do. They rarely do. That's correct. You know, you you have to find the best job you can get, save your money, do the right things. But we don't have a society that does that anymore. We we have people who listen to the blurb and say, mm-hmm. it's all okay. They told me it's fine. Inflation, yeah, eggs, eggs are expensive. Gas is expensive. But I'm making more, so it's okay. It all balances out. That's a fool's belief. And we have a system that wants us to look foolish because that's how they promote their agenda. And I know we weren't going to politicize this. That's why I didn't say which party's doing it. Um, but you know what? Cause you don't have to quick little right. interlude. Economics should not be political. I realize it is, but you know, JFK realized he had to cut taxes. Mm-hmm. He did. And he got, you know, growth as a result of it. Um, I've always loved economics because I love being able to chart it out. Like my friend Art Laffer with the art, you know, arts curve. I remember learning about that in school. And it's it's so nice to have a, art's been a great mentor to me over the years. But, you know, being able to chart out what a tax policy is actually going to mean for an economy mathematically is pretty darn cool. And obvious. To me and to you, because it's math. Right. It's math. I mean, there's human behavior in there, but you can actually see how the math is affected, right, together with the human behavior. But there's um, a desire, and, and again, not to overly politicize, but right now it's like, okay, let's be as powerful as we can. And in accumulating all of this power with the central government, we're going to edge closer and closer, frankly, I call it communism, socialism, whatever. I mean, this to me, the everything that's going on is striking me increasingly as a communist style movement. And that's one where individuals don't don't have any say, don't really matter. It is the state controlling everything, including the money supply, including your wages, including your ability to prosper, including your ability to save. Yeah. And, and it's funny, you know, it, 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 Definitely feels communistic, but that's again this. I I told you I was only showing just a little bit of it, so uh, I'm back. You gotta you gotta watch the whole thing because Charles is a really 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 smart guy, and there I was just uh, enjoying talking with all of you, um, putting some of your comments there on the screen. But Charles is is absolutely brilliant on this stuff and has spent a long time um, surrounded by, well, I mean, he's been a leader in the gold industry and his firm, of course, LegacyPMInvestments.com, one of our sponsors. Look, I mean, he um, he has a, a lot of interesting things to say. And we got into, for example, uh, there's there's a really famous guy. Did anybody see the movie The Big Short? Michael Burry, he, he's out with like a $1.6 billion short on the market right now. It's an options trade, but very interesting to think about what are his concerns. Charles and I talk through that. We talk about the regional bank crisis. We talk about inflation overall and sort of how the government, yeah, is is like continuing to lie to us, I guess, all and, and what that, that means for everything. So I encourage you to look at that. But again, um, back where we started here, look, Fox is 
in a, a kind of trouble. And it's far bigger than Donald Trump. It's far bigger than, you know, myself and Lou Dobbs and Bongino and Tucker all being gone. It's, it's to do with the industry itself because the industry is changing pretty rapidly. Bob Iger told us this the other day, right? Bob Iger, who's the CEO of Disney, who's got his own problems with, you know, the woke Snow White situation. Bob Iger made this point when he was talking about how he needed to get rid of these legacy industries, one of which was television, because television has changed and is changing so, so rapidly as we move to this streaming platform. And so the mechanism by which it's delivered, the information, how it's delivered is not as important anymore. It's the information, it's the content itself. And so it's a problem for these companies that are, well, traditional media companies. I mean, Fox News is facing a far bigger problem than whether or not Donald Trump shows up at the debate. He's not going to show up at the debate. He's going to go sit down with Tucker Carlson, and they're going to blow it away in terms of ratings, in terms of uh, overall coverage, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so good for them. Like, it, it's, it's monumental in that it tells us something much bigger, which is that people are drawn to the candidates. They're drawn to the personalities. They're not drawn necessarily to the network itself. Just like I've always said, I even think that the party system could start to get fractured because Donald Trump, don't forget, historically was a Democrat, right? He'd always been a Democrat in New York. He decided to run as a Republican. And I knew so many Democrats that switched over and they voted. They used to be Bernie Sanders supporters, actually, strangely. We'll leave that aside for now. But Bernie Sanders had an authenticity that was important. I don't like his message. I don't believe in the communist system. No good for America, but there was an authenticity there that was real. He had a consistent message. He had stayed on message, and there were no sort of like bells and whistles. He didn't have all the trappings of the cable news network. And so when I say Fox has problems, it's because as it navigates its way through these changing dynamics, it's not going to be able to pay these big giant salaries anymore because, well, it can't. It's not going to be as profitable a business. And the people that can make the big giant salaries, they don't need to be at Fox. Just like the politicians that are doing well don't need to be at Fox. And so this is a tremendous independent kind of movement that I'm loving, like personally, right? I love seeing this and I love being part of. I love that you're here. Don't forget to subscribe. Make sure you subscribe. Oh, by the way, before I forget, and I'm going to put this in the notes, make sure you go over and you subscribe to the Trish Regan show on Apple. Let me see if I can figure out how to do this. Um, if anybody could maybe put it in the show, like I know we're in the comments and reactions, I'll put it in the show notes section, but I don't have the link totally handy. But if you wouldn't mind putting up the Apple podcast for everybody and the Spotify podcast as well, it would be great if you could go over there and subscribe to it. It's all free. But this is, this is the changing movement that we're all part of here together. And this is what is so exciting. And so I think that uh, Fox is going to struggle. They're not going to get the ratings that they want. They're going to pretend like everything was fine. They're going to pretend like it was cool to just have Donald Trump over the loudspeaker saying something and everybody reacting to it. But the point is, you're having a GOP debate and you don't have the front runner for the GOP there in the slot. Could he change his mind at the 11th hour? That's what they are hoping. 
And so that's what this pressure campaign is about. They're going to keep putting the Carl Rose of the world on, say, oh, you know, he's too chicken, he's too chicken, and they hope that they can sort of like goad him into it. I don't think it's going to happen. I did see a headline today that Kimberly Guilfoyle, uh, my former colleague there at, at Fox, and Don Jr. are going to attend. I think that's interesting. It's almost like a, a bit of a warning, right? Like it's like, hey, guys, keep it together or else. If uh, too many of those folks go sort of the Chris Christie route where you get Kimberly and Don Jr. there in the audience watching their move, right? And so maybe that'll have some effect on maybe trying to keep people sort of not just all bashing him. Because if it turns into a bash session, you know, that's not good either. And this looks like a, a whole bunch of sour grapes, if you would. Um, I think I'm going to be able to find you this link here on Apple Podcasts. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, it, it's hard to like walk. What do they say? Chew gum and, and walk at the same time, walk and chew gum. But anyway, we will put it on the links in, in the section below here so that you can see that. It, it's important, if, if you would, do me that favor of making sure that you go and you subscribe to the show. Oh, look at this. I found it. I did find it. Um, so I'm going to add this in for you. Dun, dun, dun. Drum roll. Drum roll, please. <laughs> yeah, drum roll. Um. There we go. Ta-da. Voila. Okay, so make sure you go and you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Probably a lot of you already had. Um, but anyway, and, and it's <laughs> she did it. She did it. I'm getting increasingly technologically savvy. Anyway, again, so great to have you all here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Go there. Subscribe to that one. Give it a review. Five stars, please, only. And go check out Spotify as well. And I will see you tomorrow. We're going we're gonna to have some interesting news this week. Gosh darn it. I'm looking forward to it. We'll keep the conversation going. Thank you.